So we are going to be finishing. Uh, we're going to be finishing the sermon series of Pharisee and Me. So the Pharisee and Me. We're going to be talking. The, the sermon title is Full Hands and an Empty Heart. Full Hands, Empty Heart. You see, when we when we become a Pharisee, the first thing as a Pharisee that's going to happen in my life is that I'm going to my my heart's going to be out of it. So as, as we become closer and closer and closer in becoming a Pharisee, we will begin to lose more and more and more and more of the heart of God. Because what happened to the Pharisees is that they, they didn't, this wasn't something that happened overnight. This was like literally like the song, Slow Fade. It was a slow fading and one day they woke up and they said, I don't like who I am. But they hadn't even reached that point because Jesus was the one who had to say, hey, you're not where you're supposed to be. There is something wrong inside of you. But they didn't even realize that they were missing the very heart of God. So today, we're going to be studying um, Mark chapter 7. So you can read the verses on the screen. I'll have them there. But if you want to have your Bibles out, I would encourage you, go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you have them. Mark chapter 7. And what we're going to do is, is I'm going to break this into four scenes. Like if this stage was putting on a, a play, a, a production of a play, I'm setting the scenes and showing you what's happening as we go. It's the same way that whenever I read the Bible, I always break it down into parts. I'm just calling the parts a scene. So the first scene that we come into is the first four verses, and it actually is literally going to set the stage of what should be the backdrop and what should be all these different things to it. So here we go. Guys, you guys ready to dig into God's Word? We're the, isn't it kind of interesting to do that right out of the gate? Well, I figured out if I do it right out of the gate, then we probably won't need so many potty breaks during the sermon. Like I didn't notice. Like I start preaching, everybody's like, I got to go to the bathroom. Really, you don't. You're just tired. I remember when I was a little kid and my, my uncle would start preaching and I would start getting tired. Um, I used to go a lot, and then, but I sat in the second row. And so that was very noticeable, getting out of the second row. And then like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, because we had pews, not chairs, right? And they're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. i got to go to the bathroom. I didn't need to go to the bathroom. I was just falling asleep. And then I would go all the way to the back, throw water on my face, slap myself a couple of times, and then I would go back in, right, and, and, and repeat the process. Well, then I started going, you know what, I'm not even going to get up. I'm too tired. And I would put my forehead on the pew in front of me, put my Bible on the floor, even toward, towards the alt, like during the aisle, so that everybody could see how spiritual I was. <laughs> I'm reading, but I would fall asleep, and I never turned the pages of the Bible. What I didn't know is that if you sleep for a long time, and your head is sitting on a wooden pew in front of you, puts a line right here. I went to my uncle and I said, great sermon. Mm-hmm. He knew. He knew. So I'm just saying I know too. I'm just letting you all know. I, I can see. I can see. We, we have lights. I can see. I, I know what, what, what this is. You're not agreeing with me. I know what the wife doing this means too. Just saying. All right, so you guys ready? All right, let's do this. All right, so Mark chapter 7, okay? So here we go. Um, then the Pharisees and some other scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, 
what he's going to explain what the defiled means, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in what? A special way. Holding the tradition of the elders. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. I don't know how they washed the couches, but they, they did. So, when we start looking at this, this is setting the stage of what's happening. You have Pharisees, and, and they're coming down from Jerusalem, right? So why are they coming down? The, the, the thing is, is that when I read the Bible, I like to ask lots of questions because I want to understand what's going on. The more questions that we ask, the more understanding we have what's going on, the more sense it's going to make to us. So here's the deal. These Pharisees were coming down to entrap Jesus in his words. They wanted to capture him doing something wrong. I mean, that never happens in today's life, right? I mean, have you ever, have you ever felt like, or did you, have you ever had somebody who was just watching you, waiting for you to make a mistake? Come on, right? <laughs> Come on, right? You're just, you're like, man, I can't do nothing because they're just watching me and waiting for me to screw up. Any, any, anybody that would just raise your hand and testify that you know that that's happened in your life? Maybe, maybe a lot, Right? And so here's the thing is that that's what's happening is these Pharisees. See, that's the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee is watching to catch somebody making a, sin, make, making a mistake. So if I, the more of a Pharisee I become, the more I sit back and watch people and wait for them to make a mistake. I don't have to fire you right now. I just got to wait for you to make a mistake. And guess what? We're human, so guess what we're going to do? Make mistakes. This happens a lot in marriages. Well, why'd you get quiet all of a sudden? <laughs> I was like, because you're right. It's true. Right? Sometimes as a spouse, we just sit back and we're waiting for the other one to screw up so we can say so. All of a sudden, the elbows start working right now. I'm like, what, what does this mean, ladies? Are you listening to him? Are you getting what he's saying? Or, all right, so the husbands are really smart. Like, I'm not moving at all. I don't want to be in trouble when I get home. <laughs> you know? So, all right, so... So, you know, th that's what they're doing, and here's what they found, and here's what, here's what the Pharisees saw. They came all this way. I want you to think about it. They traveled all this way to show up, and this is what they found. Disciples eating with unwashed hands. Oh, that's a biggie. I mean, seriously, right? When I'm reading this, I'm like, really, that's, that's the thing that you waited for? Or maybe it's the only thing you could find. Man, listen to this. Okay, so... <laughs> a joke here. I'm, ad I, I'm all about advocating for washing hands. My boys come in from doing chores. I know what they've touched and I know where they've been. And I'm like, did you wash your hands before you eat? Right? I don't know about you guys, but, but you know, I, I do advocate that. But really, if we're being honest, this isn't the, this, out of the Pharisees, this isn't a concern about disciples getting salmonella, is it? This isn't like, guys, you need to wash your hands better because uh, you might get salmonella. Right? I mean, this is not, it's not about, the, 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 this isn't about like, hey, Pharisees, I don't know, but you, you just touched that dead thing over there and you were dragging the, 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 the dead, you know, squirrel through the yard and all that kind of stuff and your hands have been on something that's dead and deceased and now you're just throwing food in your mouth. That's probably not a good thing. But that's not what this was about. This wasn't like, hey, disciples, uh, you, you, you might get sick. Wasn't about that, was it? 
And see, that's, that's, that's kind of the problem is that what we really come to, the issue that's starting to happen is they, they're bringing up, why do your disciples not follow the traditions of the elders? So here's the tradition of the elders are extra biblical requirements, not a commandment of God, but rather a commandment of, commandment of men, man-made rules, guidelines, policies. Now, is having guidelines and policies a sin? No. Are they wrong? No. Let me give you an example because I, I want to make church. Churches are governed by procedures and policies, and you know what? Safety and security falls in that in that realm. There's not in the Bible. It doesn't say, "Hey, here's the the first book of security for churches." But I can guarantee you, every one of you parents are grateful that we have security people sitting in front of where the children's get signed in. If you want to get to the children, you have to get through our security people. We don't just throw our kids in a back room and say, good luck. I mean, that was my idea. And they're like, no, Daniel, you're done. You're not a part of the security team. Get out of here. But there's a security team. And there are security people in this church right now watching and making sure that things are being safe. They're all over the place. The thing is, is that that's not, that's not biblically mandated, but it is smart. It is wise, and it's, it is an extra biblical thing. So I want you to understand that on one side, having extra biblical things is not an evil thing. Every church, every family, every school has extra biblical things that are in there. The problem is when the extra biblical requirements become more important than the Word of God. That's the issue that we're going to find today. So, an extra biblical requirement should never take the place of Scripture. Two, it should never be held in higher regard than Scripture. Three, it should never lose the heart's intent of the Scripture. So let me give you an example of, of, like, during denominations, all right? So I grew up Mennonite. I went to a, a Baptist college, and, and I'm pretty charismatic so that people see me as Pentecostal. I just tell them I'm a, I'm a Mennabapticostal. I don't even know what I am, you know? And denominationally, I, I don't walk down those roads. I don't. Um, because... I want to be a Bible-believing Christian before I'm any denomination, and, and that's what I want for our church, um, okay? So, but the thing is, is that I remember growing up, like Baptist, for the longest time, it was, if you had a drink of alcohol, that was a sin. Now, it's not really a biblical sin. Jesus turned wine, water into wine. Right? I mean, but... The, the sin is getting drunk. The, the sin is the, the drunkenness of it. It's when you do something to yourself and you are losing control of yourself, making a fool of yourself, your family, and everything else. That's sin. Having a drink of wine. Paul even said, hey, Timothy, you need to have a glass of wine for your stomach because it helped his gut. So he's even telling another pastor he should have a glass of wine. I'm not saying, hey, everybody go have a glass of wine. What I'm trying to say is this. It's not a sin to have a glass of wine. 
But there was a long time growing up in the denominations where they basically said, man, we got to quit. Get, people need to stop getting drunk, so we're just going to outlaw alcohol. That's extra biblical requirements. And you know what? Sometimes it's easier just to say, stay away from the whole thing. To me, you know, just stay away from it right now. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, well, hey, I'm free to do this. But then you hurt people. And then you're like, well, it's not worth it. It's never worth it. So um, anyways, so, so I want you to understand is that I, I remember growing up also, like the Pentecostals um, would also say like, like dancing is like a sin because all dancing leads to sex. I'm like, no, sex leads to sex. Dancing, you know, like you guys have been watching Dirty Dancing too much. I mean, I like, come on, you know, like, like but, but if you, especially some of you that might be older, you, you look back and you say, man, some of these denominations really like outlawed, made it like it was a sin, that's an extra biblical requirement because there's nowhere in the Bible that's like, hey, dancing leads to sex, therefore it's a sin. But as a denomination, they say, hey, uh, six inches here. I better be able to fit a ruler between you and my daughter when you guys are dancing. I better be like this. Not this. Hmm. I got a boot. All right. So, so the point being is this, is that we, even in our world today, do the whole extra biblical requirement thing. We just have to be careful that it never takes the place of Scripture, held higher than Scripture, or loses the heart's intent of Scripture. Does that make sense? All right, so then I want to go to scene two. Scene two is this. We're going to present the problem because what we did is we set the stage. The Pharisees came down. They look at the disciples. They're like, oh, you're eating with unwashed hands. So now we go into Mark chapter 7, verses 5. All right, I'm going to have five up here. I'm going to go ahead and read to eight, though. Then the Pharisees and the scribes said to Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands. Jesus replied, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites? Woo! <laughs> All right, let's just go right, right, right to the heart of the matter here. This people, it's like you people, right? You, you, you gotta, Jesus, that's not very diplomatic here. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as a doctrine of, of the commandments of men. So the problem stems in verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes said to Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. So at first when I looked at this, I'm like, Man, Jesus, this kind of seems like you're being a little, little harsh on them, a little hard. You know, why, why do you have to go straight for the hypocrite word? Right? I mean, when you look at it, it's like, Hey, why don't they wash their hands? You hypocrite! I mean, that's kind of, you know, in the first time, I'm like, whoo! But I know Jesus is perfect, so we, there's got to be an explanation for this. And when you start seeing how he goes on and talks about this, he really starts saying, hey, you came all this way to, tell, to talk about unwashed hands. What about your unwashed heart? Huh? Ah, I know, right? See, they're not there because of the hand washings, not because of dirty hands. 
<laughs> to be perfectly honest, if any of your kids were out there, you know, touching everything in the dirt and, and all this and they ate, I wouldn't even send you a text message. I'd be like, that kid's going to have a good immune system. <laughs> Let's start that kid off early, you know. Um, so, there, so Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he knows there's more going on than meets the eye. This isn't about unwashed hands. This is about their hearts. Jesus knows exactly what's going on in every one of you sitting here today. He knows where your heart is. He does. He knows exactly where your heart. He knows if you have a heart of worship or if you have a heart of a Pharisee. He knows that. We can smile. We can fake it. We can show up, but he knows it. See, the thing that I I really noticed is that these, these Pharisees really have a habit of making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, nobody ever does that here, right? Nobody ever takes this little mole hill and turns it into like a steaming volcano in your house. Marriages never do that, right? Anybody that's married, you've thought in your mind, wow, you turned that mole hill into a volcano. Like, really? No, Jerry's like, mm-mm, stop. Okay, all right, so... You see, I want you to understand why they made such a big deal out of something so small. It's because they were threatened. The Pharisees were truly threatened. They, they, they were angry and they were threatened because Jesus was departing, departing from religious traditionalism. He wasn't doing church the way that church is supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done like this. Come on. Oh, I, I could tell you growing up how many songs we were going to have before the sermon, and I could tell you how many songs we were going to have after the sermon. I knew what time we were getting out of here. Not when you come to Living Water. You're like, how many songs do you guys sing? As many as we want. <laughs> I remember when, we, when I was trying to like, you know what, all my pastor friends are preaching like 20 minutes. I'm like, how do I do this, Lord? I don't even know how. And so I was like, okay, you got to take all of your stories out. You have to take all of the humor out. You have to basically stop being who you are. And, and so I tried, tried that for a little bit, and everybody's like, it's not long enough. I was like, oh. I wasn't, Jeff did not say that, but other people, other people said, I want you to go back to the way you were doing it. I'm like, thank you. All right. That feels much better. So here's the thing is if you're looking for a short service, it's not this one. Um, (laughs) But the thing is, is that we're never offended if you have to leave early. We really aren't. We love you and we're glad that you're here. We really are. And uh, if you ever have to leave, you got to go. so uh, in uh, next year, you know, the Chiefs games start going, and you see all the Chiefs jerseys leaving at like 11.50. I'm like, oh, I know exactly where you guys are going. I'll pray for you. All right, so, but I'm wanting you to understand what's happening is that Jesus continuously is doing things that are not traditional anymore. I remember in college, you know what my worst grade in college was? You guys ready for this? Preaching. Like my lowest grade. I'm not kidding you. My professor says, Yoder, if you can't do it in 20 minutes, don't do it. I said, is that actually an option? Like, will I get a better grade if I just don't do it? Because I don't know how to do what you want me to do in 20 minutes. That's not me. So I don't get, I, I, I'll never get invited to teach on how to preach. I just won't. Um, but I remember in classes, they would say, okay, you need to have three points. They all need to stay, start with the same letter typically P or S, because there's lots of synonyms that start with P and S. Right? Or re. You can do like reclaim, refresh, revive. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm going to write that down. That's a good sermon. Um, but, 
what I was learning is they were like, this is how you preach. This is how you do it. I'm like, why didn't Jesus, when, did, you do, did you show up to the Sermon on the Mount? He's all over the place. I love it. He's preaching on adultery, and then he goes into murder, and then he's going into following the law, and then he's going into fasting and praying. He's everywhere. I dig it. And that wasn't 20 minutes. I was like, buckle up, buttercup, let's go. So the thing is, is that this highly offended the Pharisees. They're like, you're not doing church the way we told you to do church. You're not doing church how church is supposed to be done. So Jesus kept leaving these traditions behind and calling them out for what they were. Traditions are fine. I'm not here to, to come in here and say and bash on traditions, but I want you to understand, and I do want you to hear me, this traditions of yesterday won't reach people of tomorrow. Do you hear me? So sometimes, why, there's so many dying churches in America. I don't know if you know this, but 4,000 churches die every single year because they won't let go of their traditions because their traditions are more important than the messed up, misfit, jacked up generation that's coming up. I'm just being honest with you. It's like, I like doing it this way and I'm not changing. Well, then you're going to die. Well, I'll die doing this. But here's the problem. There's 4,000 churches shutting down and only 1,000 churches getting started each year. Do the math. Think about that. That's not good. So, example that I want you to know is that traditions have a shelf life doesn't mean that we can't come back and say, hey, let's honor some of these traditions that have been passed down. But if we say, I won't change, and I'm going to do this because this is how we've always done it. And there's so many pastors who say, how do you guys, how do you guys keep growing? Well, because we don't follow traditions. In fact, we don't do anything the same way long enough to even become a tradition around here. Like, tradition is not a problem we have. It's like, what are we changing this time? So, like, if you like, like, things always staying the same, you're like, I can't stand that church. They're always changing something. It's what happens when you have a squirrel and the leader. All right. So, let's move on. Let's go into scene three. Scene three. Hey, we only have four scenes. We're already in scene three. I don't know if you're, you know, like, hey, we're halfway over. All right, so... Jesus' response to the Pharisees, okay? So this is, so now they ask him this question, right? Because I'm wanting you to see that, 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 that they bring up, hey, why are they not following the ways of the, tra the traditions of the elders? Now we're going to really dive into Jesus' response. I even used colored highlighters for you. <clears throat> Who says that a squirrel doesn't like color? I like, highlight this, this, oh, this is so, because it's fun. <laughs> like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. All right, so, all right, so here's what Jesus answered. He answered them and said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. So we're going to walk, I, I wanted you to see, so the first thing that he says is this, this people, for one, first he says hypocrites, but then we're breaking it into three points. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And secondly, 
in vain they worship me. And then third, they're teaching as doctrines commandments of men. So they're saying that what this man is saying is the gospel truth. Here's the deal. There's a lot of godly men out there writing a lot of godly, good, awesome books, but it's not scripture. And if there's any book that says anything that's contrary to the word of God, that ain't right. And sometimes people will they'll put their faith so much in a theologian that they forget that that theologian is a man teaching his thoughts and his opinions and his agendas when we have the word of God that only has one agenda and that is God. Stay close to the Bible and make sure that anything you read is in line with the Bible and you'll be just fine. So first this, he says hypocrites. A hypocrite is one who puts on a mask and pretends to be what he is not. If you want to look for someone who is insincere, they are not sincere. That's a hypocrite. They're not sincere. They're faking it. And here's the sad thing is a lot of times people don't want to be a hypocrite, but they don't want people to really know who they really are. So they become a hypocrite because they're so afraid of what people will think about them. If people don't love you for you, then that's probably a person you don't need as a friend. So just be you. Be sincere. If you're a mess, it's all right. There are like 200 messes in one room. Right? All right. All right. Okay. So the second thing, I want to bring up this. So he brings out. So that first, got to understand what a hypocrite is. Now, how are, they, how are they hypocrites? The first thing is he says is this. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. The mouth is full, and I'm using this in, in music terms here. The mouth is full of songs, but they're not from the heart. Whew. That'll preach, Cheyenne, right? I mean, think about this. They're saying all the right things with your lips. <laughs> your lips are saying a lot of things, but your heart is not matching what the mouth is saying. Wow. <laughs> the lips are... They honor me with their lips. They're saying, God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, I'm going to sing you this song. But he's like, man, your heart is not even in the same realm as that of your mouth. The second thing is he says this, your worship is done in vain. I want you to understand what worship is. Worship in its simplest definition is this, your expression of love to God. Worship is not just music. It's not just listening to music and songs and singing. Worship is when I'm serving, when I'm teaching, when I'm um, helping someone, when I'm putting money in the offering plate. Did you know that giving is an act of worship? Or it should be an act of worship? Worship is when I, I want to say, God, I want to say I love you. And I want to say, God, I love you in the money that I give, the time that I spend, the, the talents that I use. God, I want to say I love you and I want to demonstrate it. I want to express what my heart feels about you. I heard a preacher this week said that emotions had no place in church. I'm, just, I'm telling you, it was the most boring service I ever sat or listened through. I'm like, about 20 minutes in, I'm like, yeah, I got to get, this is depressing. He even went on to say that he would sit and he could sit in any church 10 minutes and know 
whether their worship was real or not because of the emotions in the room. I'm like, <laughs> you're going to be really disappointed when you get to heaven and we're actually celebrating. You know, like, like tone it down. Never! We're going to have Jared Reeves there and he's going to be like, woohoo! <laughs> so, so, so the thing is, is that, so worship is, is our expression of love. And I love this, a response of awe. And I had to look up this word awe. This word awe, it, 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 you, you can't even hardly define it. It's like one of those words that it's like the awesomeness of God, the, the indescribability. Thanks God for this indescribable gift. We start thinking about all these things. I don't even know how to describe how amazing God is. God, I don't even know how to tell you how much I love you because I love you still doesn't feel like enough. Does anybody, can anybody say this? When you say, I love you, God, I still feel like I'm missing something. God, I don't even know that that four-letter word is enough. Come on, right? Right, God? <laughs> I love you, but I need, I want more. And so that's what this awe is. It's a response of awe. I'm in awe of who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. And I just want to express it. So sometimes we clap. Sometimes we raise our hands. Sometimes we make a fool out of ourselves. I mean, any, any, there's a lot of men that have probably made a fool out of themselves trying to show the love of their life, how much they love them. And it makes me think of turkey season every year. That turkey's full shredded, and he's doing this. I mean, like, dude, you're making a fool of yourself. You're just puffed up walking in circles. And yet it's working. You know, go. You know, just don't come within 30 yards or you're done. I'm just, I'll put an end to that dance, you know. But I mean, right? But the thing is, is that sometimes it's like, God, I just love you so much I got to express this. That's worship. All right, number three. Your doctrines are not from men, or they're from men, not from me. Putting those in these kind of words, you have man made man's words more important than God's words. That's traditionalism. When we put traditions and we make that more important than God's words. I've been in some churches that they've had, like the piano always had to be on one side of the stage, and if you moved it, like you're done. I mean, I, I remember I've been in some churches, and I like to shake things up all the time. We're like, Pastor, it's important that you know that we were here before you came, and we'll be here when you're gone. Like, noted. So can we move the piano or not? I mean, I like, like what does that mean? Like, can we move it to the other side because it, it'll, it'll work better? No, we've never done it that way. We're never going to do that that way. Okay, what about, what can we move? Can we move the Lord's Supper table? No! Oh, okay. Can we move the pews around a little bit? Can, can I preach from the other side? What would you do if I, you came in and all the pews were facing the other way? What would you do then? You'd be gone. Okay, can't do that either. What can I do? Could you, I, that seems like it would be an easier question. What can I do? See, that's the problem with churches today. We're more concerned about stuff that we've always done than even the people that those things that we've always done are supposed to be reaching. Because we've lost the heart of worship, we're going to fall into a heart of traditionalism. 
Mark chapter 7, verse 8, it says this, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many other such things you do. This is Jesus saying this. What Jesus is saying is you have placed a greater importance on washing hands, pots, and pans than in your worship of me. So what is it that you hold higher in your life than the worship of God? See, we're not going to have any instruments today, and I know that there's a lot of pastors who would have said, uh, Daniel, that's a bad move. People are not going to like that. And they would never have done it. And I can't wait to hear a choir today. That's why we're doing all of our music last, because I can't wait to hear a united choir without any of the other things, just us singing to God. You see, here's our habit. We give God our hands, but not our hearts. Guys, if there's anything that you're going to write down, this is it. There was anything that you get from this, this is what I hope that you get right here. I wish this was the conclusion of my sermon because I would love to end with this slide, but there was more scripture that we have to go through. We give God our hands, but not our heart. We place a greater importance on serving. I can't tell you how many times we get so caught up in serving that we don't have time to worship. Guys, I'm telling you, this is a thing that happens in all of our churches all over the world. We're so busy serving, we stopped worshiping along the way. Even when you're leading music, you can begin to be so full. Your hands are so full of things that your heart is missing the whole point. We can place a greater importance on serving the church than worshiping God. We give God our skills, our abilities, our knowledge, our time, even our money. These are great things. I'm not saying they're not. But we don't give God what he wants most, and that's your heart. He wants your heart. God wants your heart. More than your service. More than your abilities. More than your knowledge. More than your voice. He wants your heart. And so often we think, well, God, I've got this talent. I've got this gift, and I'm going to help you out, God. He doesn't need your help. He wants your heart. Verse 9, he goes on. He goes on and he says, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. That's the law. That's God's word. But you say, so he's saying, you elders, you Pharisees, this is what you're saying. If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, I'll tell you what that is, that is a gift of God, then you will no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and you do many such things. So Jesus shows them the result of their hypocrisy, how their hypocrisy is actually making the word of God to no effect. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down like this. There's a, there's a, a difference between God's commandment and, and man's tradition, right? So God's commandment, God's word says, honor thy father and thy mother. All the parents said, Amen, right? That's good. We want, you know, kids, listen up. Um, that's when all the parents are slapping the kids sitting in front of them. Wake up! You need to listen to this. 
And so what he's saying is, is that as kids, you're supposed to take care of your parents. At a certain point, they took care of you, they raised you, then there's a certain point where, the, where it begins to go, woo, right? Because in that culture, there wasn't uh, Social Security, there wasn't all of the retirement funds and all that kind of stuff. So it was like you raised them up, and then there was a point where they then had to, to, make the, to pay some dues. Well, then what was happening is kids weren't wanting to help their parents out. So then the, the, the elders created a tradition called Corbin. Corbin was this. I would say, hey, this money that I've made from this job, I call it Corbin. Well, then all of a sudden, I'm like, the, 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 the priest and everybody like, oh, it's Corbin. That means it's a gift to God. But they didn't make him give it to God. You could still use it, but you couldn't help anybody else out with it. It was a dumb tradition. And then if the kid ever got guilty felt guilty and convicted by God, and they said, you know what, I want to help my parents. The priest would say, no, you made that a Corbin. And then they would quote to the kid, or to the young adolescent adult, Numbers chapter 30. And Numbers chapter 30 says, a vow, um, a, a, a vow of God supersedes all other vows, and then they would deny them to help their parents. You're not helping your parents because you made a vow. Who cares what the fifth commandment of God says? We say this. You see? So Jesus is saying, you guys and your traditions are a mess. <laughs> You're making the word of God to no effect. See, I'm very leery of man-made traditions, policies, procedures, all those types of things. I'm very cautious. Even when I see... Um, a great well-known theologian has a, a doctrine that he holds on to. Here's the reason why I'm very leery. I'm very cautious. doesn't mean I don't hear it or maybe even come to a point of really agreeing. Every man has an agenda. Every man, woman, and child in this room have an agenda. I have an agenda. The goal is, is that what my goal is for me is that my agenda is actually God's agenda. That's all I want it to be. God, what's your agenda? And I want to make your agenda my agenda. But sometimes people start having their own agenda. And they think that they're helping God out by their agenda. Or I'm going to straighten something out through this agenda. So, we come to our last scene, and that is scene four, the crossroad. It's amazing how every time I'm reading the scripture, Jesus has a way of bringing everybody to a point in the road where there's a crossroad. A crossroad is when you're traveling down, and you're like, hey, this is great, and all of a sudden the road turns into two roads, and you have to decide which road you're on. You can't go straight anymore. You're either going to go left or you're going to go right. You guys following me, right? In life, we have all kinds of crossroads that come in, and we are faced with all kinds of crossroads. So Jesus now creates a crossroad. You ready for this? Verse 14 through 16, he says this. When he had called the multitude, all the multitude to himself. So remember the scene. <laughs> when Scene one, Pharisees have come down from Jerusalem and they're all questioning him. This isn't in a hidden room. This is probably on a street corner and they're, they're, they're questioning him to such a place that he now can call an entire multitude around. So they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He corrects them and then he says, now everybody come here. I got something to say to everybody. Oh, well, that's Jesus talking. And everybody draws near. That's what I love about this. It's like, oh, oh, not only are you going to get a, a private correction, but now you're about to get a public correction on top of it. And so he calls the whole multitude to himself and then he says, hear me, 
everyone and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. Because that's what they were saying. They're eating with defiled hands. That's what they said. So he's like, there is nothing from the outside. There's no dirt. There's no uh, camel turd. There is nothing on the ground that's going to defile. I'm, I'm just saying they had camels and it turns into dirt. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside that can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears, let them hear. Well, the easiest way to correct someone is through teaching the truth. The truth is the correction. When we, when we hear God's word, Jesus said this about truth. He said, you, the disciples will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hmm? The truth is what sets us free. The truth is the correction to when I'm walking down the wrong road. When I come to the crossroad, the truth is the guiding light to which path I should be taking. So it doesn't take long for a multitude also to see who's really following, does it? I mean, think about this. I'm publicly teaching every single week, right? And, and you guys would represent a multitude. It won't take you very long to figure out if there's other leaders that are teaching and preaching and doing ministries that aren't following the ways of living water, right? Like we have a way of doing things. doesn't matter who you are, what you've been, where, you know, all those, right? So all of a sudden, if you start seeing other people and they're like, man, they, they don't sound they're not following Daniel at all in the direction of this church. You're going to know that, won't you? Don't, right? I mean, it's not hard when you say, wow, I hear this, but you don't sound anything like that. You guys aren't on the same page. It doesn't. So here's the thing. As Jesus creates this crossroad, says, this is the road I'm on. And anyone who takes another road, everyone's going to know it. So the Pharisees are placed on the crossroad too because they're there. Everyone's going to know which road the Pharisees are going to take right then and there because he's teaching everyone. He's not doing a secret meeting. He's teaching everyone, this is the road we're on. Anyone that's taking a different road, everyone's going to know. He doesn't have to say, look at the Pharisees because everybody knows it, right? That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't have to say, guys, they're a bunch of snakes. Don't listen to them. He just said, this is where I'm going and this is the truth and this is how it's going to be. Ooh, isn't that great? And so, so here he is, he's, he's, saying, he's saying this. And so now, <laughs> he, you also know who's listening and who's not listening. By correcting the Pharisees in this public way, this creates the crossroad that I've already talked about. And it also publicly destroys the traditions of the elders. See, he's not only creating a crossroad of decision, he also is destroying publicly the traditions of, that are getting in the way of the word of God. Jesus is a genius. <laughs> I'm like, when I read through the word, I'm like, wow, man, who would have thought to do it that way? We would have been like, I'm throwing, I'm burning your house down. You know, I mean, like Jesus is just like, hey, I'm going to teach you. Come here, everybody. I'm going to teach you something. You know, they're talking about washing pitchers and pans and pots. You know, that's great, whatever. But here's what I'm telling you. That dirty pitcher is not going to make you defiled. Well, now, they, that tradition to now, everybody's like, great, I don't have to wash it in this special way anymore? Woo, I'm done with that. Sign me up for your way. 
I don't want to wash pans that certain way. I don't want to have to do them upside down and pat them three times on the end and say it's clean. Kumbaya. I mean, I was you know, like, well, come on. Shazam, it's clean. All right, you know. So, so, <laughs> so he's publicly destroying this. So now the people and the Pharisees are at this crossroad and they have to make a choice, right? So the disciples are struggling with what Jesus means by this, and now they ask a question. So now verses 17 through 19, it says this. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning a parable. And he said, are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile because it goes, it does not enter his heart but his stomach and then is eliminated? That's poop just saying you knew I would find a way my wife is like you always find a way and you like that Aiden don't you (laughs) that was for the youth not you adults you're like why do we have such an immature pastor why (laughs) amen (laughs) all right so what I do want to do here's this I want, to, I want to define what the word defile means because he says this, the food entering into you can't defile you. Defile is, is a Greek word koinu, and it means to be impure or not clean. This is a ceremonial word that they often would use to say, are you ceremonial clean? Like if you touch a dead body, you don't get to go to church until you do these certain things to become clean again. And Jesus is saying that doesn't make you unclean. He's, he's, he's flipping the script is what Jesus is doing. All your traditions, I'm flipping them over. I'm turning them upside down. I'm shaking it out of them because that's not what makes you defiled in the eyes of God. And so God is more concerned how clean your heart is than how clean your hands are. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's what God's really concerned about is your heart. How clean is your heart? How clean is is your heart. He goes on, and, and, he, and these are the last verses that we have, and this is where we end our time in the Word today. He said to them, disciples, he says, what comes out of a man that defiles him? What comes out of a man that defiles him? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. What he does is he begins to list a list of sins that I highlighted, each one of these. What comes out of a man that defiles a man, what he's saying is this, it's not your dirty hands that make you defiled in the eyes of God. It's what comes out of the heart. You guys see that? What comes out of the heart, that's what can or won't, like will or won't defile you in the eyes of God. When he looks at you, he's not looking at like dirty clothes, He's not looking at whether you have a hole in your knees. You know, there's so many times I look at the kids' jeans, I'm like, did you need a little bit more money to get the whole thing? But, you know, I mean, that's the style today. My kids wear them too. I can't stand them. I'm like, man, back in our day, we would work until we got the, we'd earn those holes in the jeans. Come on, can I get an amen, right? <laughs> so what he's saying is this, what comes out of the heart, that's, so here's what, what can come out of the heart is evil thoughts. He's not talking about just evil deeds. He's talking about what you're thinking about. Woo! Well, now we're all in a world of trouble because a lot of us are thinking it. We may not be doing it, but we're sure thinking it. Some of you are like, well, I haven't said a cuss word in years. Yeah, but your heart's been cussing for days. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, 
Well, come on, right? <laughs> Adulteries. I love how Jesus talked about adultery. It wasn't just a physical act. If you were looking at a, 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 like he was talking to men at the time, and he says, men, if you're even looking at a woman in lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. That's pornography. Pornography is one of the growingest things in America right now because it's so easy. The average 11-year-old has seen a full naked picture of the opposite sex already at the age of 11. At 11, I was just starting to find some pimples on my face going, what do I do with that thing? How long's it been there? You know, how do I get rid of this thing? I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about, I was just trying to figure out, like, how do I say hi? Like, do I do it like this or this or do I try to be cool? Do I play like it? And I just did it like a squirrel would and it did not work. <laughs> Tell Barbara, she didn't know any better. She's wearing glasses too. So <laughs> fornications, murders. He said that, that even if you hated somebody in your heart, you committed murder in your heart. Theft, stealing, taking things that's not yours, coveting, wickedness, uh, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye. Man, he's even talking about where your eyes are looking. Blasphemy, pride. You see, this is not an exhaustive list, but what he's saying is we're going all the way from foolishness and pride and bad thoughts all the way to murder and adultery and these things. And everything that's in between. See, what he's trying to get, a lot, a lot of churches like to pick on certain sins while leaving other sins alone. Have you ever noticed that? Guys, sin. Sin is what defiles our heart. Okay? Sin is what, what's getting in the way between me and God. That's what's defiling my worship. To where my worship is just coming lip service. That's acting like it honors God. Than truly honoring God. He goes, all these things come from within. Hmm. You see, worship stems from the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, everything. Like to love God. The greatest commandment is to love God more than everything else. To love God more than everything else. So do you love God more than the balance of your bank account. Some of you that's broke are like, yes, easy. There's nothing there. Do you love him more than your career? Do you, do you love him more than your spouse? Some of you are like, amen. You love him more than your kids? Oh, now that's hard. Don't be messing with my kids, right? Do you love God more than your kids? Do you love him more than your Chiefs game? I, like, I love the Chiefs game, but I don't love it more than God. But I've seen some people and how i like, man, if I could have half of those people that put all their heart into cheering on a game and bring that kind of heart into a, into a worship service, woo, we'd be having a pep rally. But do we have that? I mean, guys, when we really start looking at ourselves, does God have my whole heart or am I just giving him a piece of it? Am I just giving him the Sunday and say, you got to have a part of my Sunday, but but that I'm kind of limiting you, God, to what you have, then do I really love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul? What kind of things am I listening to during the week? What kind of things am I watching during the week? Do I really love him with my eyes? Do I love him with my ears? Do I love him with my mind? Oh, now I'm meddling. I know. But this is about returning with a heart of worship. 
Worship is more than a song. It's more than instruments. Worship is my expression of love to God. So I want us, our invitation today is going to be awesome. (laughs) Because we're going to, I'm going to have Cheyenne, she's going to start preparing to, she's going to sing over us heart of worship. But I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you guys in the back to bring the lights down, please. I don't want any distractions. And Guys, if you need to go to the bathroom, hold it. This is not the time. And if you're going to fall asleep, I'm actually asking you to close your eyes, so I'm making it easier on you. So here's the thing. He says it's out of the heart that defiles us. So I want you to hear me. This song, Heart of Worship, says this, When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. We're defining what worship is through just a verse of a song And it goes on to say, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. So what we're going to do is Cheyenne's going to lead us in this song. And guys, maybe maybe your invitation today, because an invitation is a, an opportunity for us to respond to the Word of God. It is not to see how many people come to an altar. It's to allow you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God. And what it may be wanting you, what God may be wanting you to do. So maybe you come to the altar. And and maybe you're repenting, God, I'm sorry for what I've made this. I'm sorry for the sins that I've been holding on to. God, I'm sorry for all of these things. Or maybe you're right there in your seat, holding up your hand, singing to God, this is my song. I don't want to tell you what to do or what not to do. What I want you to understand is this is between you and God. This is my favorite part of every service because this is where we all make decisions. This is the crossroad. What kind of heart am I going to give God? So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, whether you end up standing up and singing or whether you come to the altar, whether you enter into prayer, but I want you to know is that all from now till the end of the service, the altar is absolutely open. You can come, you can stay, you can sit, you can stand, but this is your expression back to God. But if there is anything in your heart that is defiled, deal with it now, right now. When the music fades and all is stripped away.